Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, we'll talk to my weather expert buddy Bruce Johnson about this extreme cold warning. Jerry the medic, Gerald Desjardins will join us. Emergency first aid. You're going to want to hear this really valuable information coming up from Jerry. And the head of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, Chuck Davidson, will join us on the impact these indigenous blockades and protests are having on the economy of Manitoba. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. What's the matter? You guys cold? Oh, man, that's cold. It's freezing. If we don't do something soon, we'll all freeze to death. The cold is making everybody crankier. You have no idea what I'm going to. I'm freezing. You're as cold as ice. Ice, baby. Runaway warming pushed the planet into an ice age. Baby, it's cold outside. It's completely frozen. Cold, 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 cold. It's cold. Hal Anderson. Hal Anderson Afternoons, halfway through the show. How's it going? It is cold. And we're going to talk now with my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, down there in Lancaster, Minnesota. Hello, Bruce. Hello. Hey, I was talking earlier with Kathy Kennedy as she handed off to me. Uh, she's filling in for Jeff Courier this week, and I mentioned that uh, my uh, the way I deal with cold weather like this is uh, with a good bowl of soup. I love soup. And I got a text message from Brent, and he says, Hal, the best tomato soup on the planet is in downtown Lancaster, Minnesota at Roxy's Diner. I think nothing... <laughs> of riding my motorcycle 90 miles for a bowl of that terrific soup. Bruce, have you ever had the tomato soup at Roxy's? No, but uh, I've heard it was good. So, um, uh, you know, I usually don't I don't go out to eat much. I mostly cook at home. But yeah. uh, uh, that's interesting to hear, though. Yeah. Now that's somebody in Winnipeg because, you know, it's not like somebody here who's right. saying, and they just go there because it's convenient. They're actually really excited about it. Yeah. Anyhow, I digress. Let's talk about this cold weather. So um, we're going to see wind chills around the minus 40 mark again tonight? Oh, yes. It won't be quite as bad as it was early this morning because the wind won't be so bad. But this is actually the coldest daytime we've had. And I guarantee you it's not going to make it to minus 19 today. It probably will tomorrow or very close. But today we're not going to make that. And it's uh, that in the wind, it feels like minus 40-something, and it has all day. And it's going to get less windy tonight. You're getting in the minus 30 range, maybe lower minus 30s, but then you don't have the wind. Tomorrow will be better than today. It won't be as much wind. It will be cold, but it won't be quite. It won't feel quite as bad. Friday will be warmer, but you, then you got the south wind. That's uh, <clears throat> south wind will bring a little bit warmer air, but it's going to be gusty enough. That it's not going to really feel that warm. Well, and apparently it's going to bring a bit of snow on Friday too. Nothing serious, but a few centimeters maybe, eh? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's not very, very much. It's just mostly another wind event. It just happens to be from the south instead of the north. Mm. Then it cools off a little bit, but then doesn't get it doesn't get extremely cold. When we get to the weekend and early next week, models are showing, and I have to see because these are long term models showing around the twentieth, maybe for three, four days or so, that it's going to get warmer, maybe near freezing. February twentieth. Let me look at my calendar here. So we're talking next Thursday, right? That's what models are showing right now. They're showing it jumping up to around freezing during the day and uh, you know, minus 
five, six, seven at night, which isn't very cold, really, since minus nine and minus 19 is average right now. But so we'll get something to pay for this because, you know, we're paying for the warm soil we had before. Well, we'll get the benefit of another, another warm spill in about eight, nine days. Right. Why have we had, it seems like we've had, I don't know, maybe we haven't, but it, why have we had these warm spells? Well, we'll you know, it, it hasn't been as cold as it could have been. We've had these cold days like this, no question, but we haven't locked into that deep freeze for two or three weeks at a time. And then we've had these, you know, two, three, four day periods where, as I told you last time we chatted, it almost feels like when I was growing up in southern Alberta, it almost feels like a Chinook, where it feels warm almost. Right, and it's been more of a zonal flow. We've had it's been very, very active in the Pacific Northwest as far as rain, and of course that doesn't give us moisture because we don't get the Pacific moisture, so we haven't had much moisture. But it has more of a zonal flow from west to east with a jet stream. Occasionally, we'll get it from the northwest, like today. But we've had a lot from west to east, and that is warmer for us. It's just the way the pattern set up this time. And I'm sure one of these winters we're going to have it from the northwest a lot, and it would be like today quite often. Yeah. Anything else in the weather world catching your eye, whether it's here or near here or somewhere else in the world? You're always uh, you're a weather geek, man. You're 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 living the dream. Well, I looked at the thing worldwide today, temperatures, and even Russia isn't quite down in minus 50, so maybe that's a sign, but I don't know. They could get another surge, but still February, as you know, as today's perfect proof of it, is that you can still get cold spells this time of year. And as they go on, we get into February, into March, there'll be a smaller, a shorter duration. They won't be as extreme or as long, just simply because of the time of year. But I'm watching that area to see if it gets really, really cold again. And if it does, then I've got to watch where that air goes. And so that's the big thing. And I guess we don't know, you know, we talked to the flood experts and and it all depends on how much more moisture we get, either in the form of snow now or rain when it warms up a bit and what's the melt like. We, we know that the rivers were very high way into uh, uh, fall and, and into winter, really. Uh, but I guess we really don't know what the flood situation is going to be like. There are too many variables we don't have the answer to yet, I guess, eh? Yeah, we know that there's going to potentially be a problem simply because the ground is so saturated. If we have a fast melt, that's going to make the problem worse. If we have a big big snow or big rain in March, April, May, sometime in that period, that could be bad depending on how big it is mm-hmm. because that time of year the moisture starts kicking up, and so we do get more moisture then. And if we do get a blizzard or a big rain or something like that, then that would add to it because the ground's already saturated. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, all the, you're in Lancaster, Minnesota, all the snow and, and whatever falls there ends up up here eventually. And so I know you guys down there have had way more snow than we've had up here, right? Right, a little more, and then you get down to Grand Forks, uh, Grand Forks and Fargo, they've gotten more snow than we have by considerable amount. Plus, they had even more rain than we did, and we were deluged here. So you know that's going to track north in the spring. When it melts, it's all going to go north. So they're part of the problem, too. So it depends partly on what their weather is like this spring. If they get more big storms down there, that's bad for us. Right. All right, uh, Bruce, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, hopefully the next time I talk to you won't be quite this cold. I hope not. Yes, thank you. Bruce Johnson, my weather expert buddy. Jerry the Medic, they call him Jerry the Medic, is here. 
Uh, we're going to talk about emergency first aid. Jerry Desjardins. Jerry, nice to see you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, Hal. So let me just read a little bit of your resume, man. You're impressive. Um, we're going to talk about emergency first aid, but you are a firefighter, a medic, Red Cross specialty first aid instructor, wilderness first aid instructor, ski patrol instructor, Manitoba search and rescue responder, global medic, global fire first responder. You're working on movie sets right now as a set medic safety officer, and you're teaching first responders. You've been in emergency services for over 40 years First aid instructor for over 35 years, retired city of Winnipeg 911 ambulance dispatcher and EMT, and you're going to be the keynote speaker this weekend at the Winnipeg Health and Wellness Expo at the RBC Convention Center. I've been just a little busy. Wow. Mm. So we got the right guy here to talk about uh, emergency uh, first aid. So we, we uh, I mentioned this uh, last half hour, we had the cardiac incident in the NHL last night. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about CPR, because when something like that happens, and it mm-hmm. happens, right, uh, often. Anytime, place, anywhere. When something like that happens, uh, how do we deal with it? Hopefully we have one of those, right? Sure. And so I brought a real working defibrillator into the studio today, and we're going to power it up so people can listen to the prompts of it, because these machines are so advanced now, and they're placed all over Manitoba. We have one in this building. And very beneficial. And you want to get it operating very quickly as soon as somebody collapses from a cardiac incident. So I didn't know this until I was listening to the start this morning, Mackley, McGeary, McNabb, and they were talking about this, that we have one in the building. Right. And I was not aware that it will prompt you. So if you don't know exactly what you're doing, uh, can we give it a sure. fire it up and yep. let's uh, just give us an example of what it what it sounds like and what it does. Tear here. open package and remove pads. All right, so we know that that's Tear the first. open package and remove pads. Gotcha. Peel one pad from plastic liner. And then as you do this stuff, it will continue to tell you what you do next. Right, so it will not advance until you do what you're told. Hmm. So that's why they call it an automatic external defibrillator. Right. And in Manitoba, we're the first province in Canada to have the Public Access Defibrillator Act. And the act states that every public place has to have minimum one defibrillator. So airports, bus stations, train stations, uh, hockey arenas, community centers, they may have one, but they may have more as well, too, because there's also the three-minute rule. You have a minute and a half to run and get it, a minute and a half to come back with it, and then 15 seconds to hook up. So if you can't maintain that three-minute rule, you have to purchase some more of them. And also in this province, you don't need any certification, any training, authorization to come grab it and to use it on somebody. Any layperson can grab a defibrillator, open it up, it automatically turns on, or you turn it on, and it tells you what to do. How much does one of those cost? Anywhere from $1,200 up to $2,300. So relatively affordable when you consider that it will save lives. Very much so. When they first hit Canada, they were $8,000 U.S., Hmm. And so they've come down. I don't know if we want them any lower than the price point now uh, because they are a device that delivers electrical shock to someone in cardiac arrest, Mm -hmm. and you want it to be working and faithful. I'll tell you why we have one of the big reasons we have one in this building is Mm -hmm. Jack Kepner was our chief engineer. Okay. And Jack had a heart attack and died. Wow. 
And he built this radio station. We've got a plaque at the front desk. When you walk in, it says the house that Jack built because Jack Kepner built this radio station, three radio stations here. Yes. And we lost him to a heart attack. And that's why it was really important to management at that time to have one of these in the building. And we've got it in our gym over mm-hmm. on, on the other side of the building. So, um, but what if you don't have access to one of these? What's the best advice for somebody that, if you know CPR, do it. If you don't, what, what, what do you, 911? 911 always. If you don't know CPR, start pushing on their chest. All right? You don't have to know how to do mouth to mouth. If you do not have a barrier protection, you know, like a face mask, pocket mask, then we don't want you to do unprotected mouth to mouth then. Just start pushing on their chest. Where do you put the hands? Center of the sternum, between the nipple line, under the armpits. Put one hand on top of the other, lock your arms. Push straight down, minimum two inches on an adult, minimum two inches on a child, minimum an inch and a half on an infant. Do 30 compressions. If you know how to do the breaths, if you have the barrier protection, then it's two respirations after that. But if you don't have that to do mouth to mouth, then just keep on pounding on their chest. 911, the first thing you do. First thing, because you need the help. You need help. The professionals have to come in. The professionals have the defibrillators Mm -hmm. as well. They have the medication to give you in that. Mm -hmm. Of course, they have the highest level of training. But any layperson, whether you have a course or not, and it's very beneficial to take a first aid course. So you know to do it the right way. But still, even if you don't know, just start. You know what? If if they don't know CPR, when you start pounding on their chest, they're going to say, please stop pounding on my chest. Yeah, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Uh, can we do some other ones? Let me hit you with some other scenarios, sure. other situations here. Somebody, you're in a restaurant, somebody starts to choke. What do we do? Right. So you come up to them and you have to get permission to help them. You can't just come up to someone and start pounding them on the would chest. Would you like my help? Do you need right. my help? So I would say, hello, my name is Jerry. I'm trained in first aid. Can I help you? If they're a total obstruction, they cannot speak, and they're going to nod their head for yes or no, right? And then you're going to say, are you choking? They're going to nod their head. So then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in behind them. I'm going to bend them forward, put one arm by their belly button, bend them down forward between the shoulder blades in the center. I'm going to take the palm of my hand, and I'm going to hit them real hard five times. So that's called back blows. Then I'm going to prop them back up, look at their face, see if... You know, the colors come back, or if they're still choking, if they're still choking, then I'm going to do abdominal thrust or the Heimlich maneuver, and I'm going to put my thumb just above their belly button. My other hand, I'm going to put on top of my hand. I'm going to push in and pull upward in an upward thrust, and I'm going to do that very hard as well, too. I'm going to do five of those thrusting as well. So it's a combination of five back blows and five abdominal thrusts. All right. Um, you're out uh, at an activity of some kind, somebody gets badly cut, and there's mm-hmm. severe bleeding. What do you do in that situation? So step one would be direct pressure. Now, remember, for anything medical emergency, of course, like you said, you're going to call 911. Right. Yell for someone to go get a first aid kit, very beneficial. Yell to get a defibrillator if you need it, mm-hmm. right? And then if someone is severe bleeding... You want to have gloves. You don't want to use an unprotected hand because you don't want to catch a disease or spread a disease. So you put gloves on, or if you had a towel, you would put that on. And if you could, elevate the limb and direct pressure. So direct pressure, you want to try and stop that bleed. Mm -hmm. If it's leaking out of them, we don't want it to leak out of them anymore, right? right. First aid kit shows up, then you grab the gauze pads, Mm. the roller gauze, whatever's in it, to pack that wound area to try and stop the bleed. 
And I've got some other questions at the end of some of these scenarios, okay? So okay. stand by. Nosebleed. What do we do with a bad nosebleed? What do we used to do for nosebleeds? Do you remember? Uh, put your head back. Correct. But that's wrong. That is 100% wrong. You put it ahead, right? <laughs> right. But we used to put it back. Yeah. And then the blood went down into our stomach, and then we started throwing up. Get going, sick, yeah. No, that's not beneficial. Right. So what we do now is we lean them forward. We can put a cold compress on the bridge of their nose, but not direct. We want to put a pad there or a towel and put some cold on it because cold will slow the flow. Mm -hmm. And we'll put a gauze, gauze pad or Kleenex under their nose, and we want to hold it there. So we want to lower them down, right, below their heart type thing, and we want to put the gauze there, and we want to time it because you could technically bleed out from a nosebleed. Wow. Right? So you want it to clot within 15 minutes. If it doesn't clot... After 15, we have issues uh, because maybe you're on blood thinners. Maybe there's a reason from mm -hmm. trauma or something that this is bleeding like that, yeah. and then this person has to get to the hospital ASAP. Hmm. I've got a good one for the weather outside right now in just a second. That'll be okay. my last one. Uh, but this one first, a severe allergy yes. a reaction. More and more people have these severe allergic reactions. What do we do if we're there when it happens? And I have, I suffer from a severe allergy to nuts mm. and also soya products like soya sauce, margarine, mayo, stuff like that. Right. So I always have an EpiPen with me. But if you could be at a restaurant and you could be eating something and then start having the signs and symptoms, and if you've never had that problem before, you wouldn't own an EpiPen, right? So what you want to do is figure out quickly what they could be suffering from. So you come up to them, hello, my name is, I'm trained in, and you want to say, are you allergic to anything? And if they're able to say, yeah, I'm allergic to nuts, and look at them and say, did you just eat nuts? Well, not intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's cross-contamination. Yeah. Do you own an EpiPen? Yes, I do. Where is it? It's in my purse. Okay, we got to get it. And then we're going to get that pen, pen ready to go. Yeah. Um, and we're going to inject the epinephrine into them. We're going to call 911 as well, too, because EpiPens do not replace taking someone to a hospital. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're our first defense to yeah. help somebody. Some people need two or three EpiPen dosages into them before they get better and they can start breathing properly again. Hmm. But now you're in a situation like that. They don't have an EpiPen. Something's going on. You've called 911. Is there any more you can do? You, you got to keep them warm, keep them calm, because if they get agitated, they get excited, right? And increases their heartbeat as well, too. But we, our issue is, is if it's severe, because there's a mild reaction, which could be hives, or the severe one is the throat starts to close and you can't swallow or breathe properly. Yeah. So that's a big life-threatening issue. So that's mm -hmm. why people have EpiPens. Right. Um, okay, here's the one for the weather outside right now. We've got wind chills overnight around the minus 40 mark, frostbite, exposure to cold. How yes. do we treat that? So the old urban legend out there was put snow on it, right? A frostbite, you got white patches on your nose, your cheek, your chin, and stuff like that. And I'm going, well, let's see, it's already frozen, and we want to make it more frozen. But what people didn't understand was if they said put snow on it, they were putting snow in their warm palm of their hand, so what was helping the frostbite was the warmth from your hand. It actually wasn't the snow. So you don't want to rub it quick at all. You don't want to put a hot compress on it. You don't want to stick them three inches in front of a fireplace. You want to gradual rewarm that area so you don't have any skin and cell damage. So any cold-related injuries, it's gradual rewarming. Any hot-related injuries, it's rapid cooling. That's the difference between the two.
Gotcha. We're almost out of time. This is great. We've got to have you back. We'll have you back again, okay, Jerry? Because this is, but after what happened in the NHL last night with the Blues player, I wanted to have you uh, on today. Um, where can people uh, take choruses for information like this? Where, where's the best place to go, the easiest place to go? If somebody listening goes, you know what? I got to. I have to learn that. I got to be better at that. Where do I go? Sure. I run my own training center. Okay, cool. It's, it's a hands-on, practical, scenario based training center. I have a fake SUV rollover outside my building. I have a fake kitchen. I have a fake living room. I have a fake bedroom. I recreate calls that I've been going on for over 40 years, and that's how I teach the public. If you like PowerPoints, I'm not that type of instructor. Mine's all hands-on practical, because when you leave my course, you're going, I'm going to be good with this now, because I've done it in fake, but if it happens an hour later, when you've left my training center going, I'm looked after for this already. I've already done this type of call. Yeah. So the confidence level is there because you want the skills and knowledge, training, and confidence level to help people out. Right. Well, you're not here looking for a free commercial because no. I didn't know you did that <laughs> on your own. You had your own company. How can uh, Tell us what it is and how people can find out about it. Sure. So it's Accurate Fire and Safety. We're here in Winnipeg on 111 Cole Avenue. So we're at the bottom of the Nairn Overpass, just behind Metro Trailers and Central Meets. And uh, we'll run courses whenever people want. We'll run them in the evening. We'll run them on weekends. And uh, I'm in this business to train people how to save lives. I want to share with people what I know for all my years of helping people out. And now I want the public to know how to help people out. Accurate fire. And it's uh, Jerry the Medic, Gerald Desjardins. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I ask you a question? We talk about helping people. And I don't think I would ever think twice about helping somebody in need. I, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. But I think some people worry about getting involved and the legal issues afterwards. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. So in Canada, we're covered under the Good Samaritan Act. As long as we are volunteering our time and helping someone out, we're not getting paid to do medical on someone, the Good Samaritan Act will cover you. And the Act states if you act according to your knowledge, skill level, training, then you're going to get covered. You can't go outside your training level. You can't do open heart surgery on the street. You can't start IVs on people because we're not training you that in a first aid course. But whatever you've taken in your first aid book and manual, you're going to get covered for that. Jerry the Medic, thank you. Really appreciate your time today. These uh, protesters start to block rail lines. I think there are rail lines blocked now in three provinces. Well, that starts to impact the economy. And joining us now to talk a bit about that, Chuck Davidson, the president of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Chuck, good afternoon. Hey, Hal. Thanks for doing this. So uh, any sense as to how much it's impacting us here in Manitoba? I'm sure you talked to the presidents of the other chambers of commerce across the country. What's the impact here? Well, there's big concern, obviously, from the Canadian Chamber of Commerce in terms of what this is going to do to the Canadian supply chain. In terms of movement of goods and services, we're hearing already that Basically, the Prince of Port Rupert or the port in in Prince Rupert is basically shut down uh, and that movement of goods is being challenging. And so it's early on, but the longer that this continues on, the bigger challenge that that's going to have in terms of companies that uh, rely on on companies like CN to move 
uh, people uh, and to move freight uh, across the country, that's going to have a negative impact. So this is a big concern that we need to find a solution to uh, sooner rather than later. And you mentioned in regards to uh, the, the, you know, the smaller inconveniences that we've seen with uh, you know, blockades that have happened here at Portage, Maine, which are an opportunity for, as everyone has in a democratic society, that ability to uh, you know, voice their opinion and to do so. And, and I think that's uh, something that we would always be in favor of. But I think when it has a bigger impact right now that we're looking at, at illegal blockades, uh, that has a bigger impact in terms of the potential impact this could have on the Canadian economy the longer this goes. So what we've been calling through for the uh, from the Chamber Network is that it's time for the government to get involved in this process uh, and to uh, you know to work with provincial governments as well as with with law enforcement to make sure that uh, that we can put an end to this and that we can continue to move goods and services throughout our country. Well, and this is the complaint I hear from people, whether it's by phone or text or email, when we have these protests, which as you mentioned are inconvenient. People want the RCMP or the police to step in and put a stop to this illegal protest or this demonstration. And obviously the politicians are nervous about stepping in, right, because they're dealing with Indigenous communities, Indigenous leaders. And and I don't want you to weigh in on, on the politics here unless you, unless you want to, um, but something's got to give, right? Well, and it's, it's it's about, you know, we need to have those opportunities to sit down and understand uh, what the situation is on both sides. And and, and this is something that, that we obviously uh, would be in favor of, is to having those discussions. But it takes leadership to make sure that we do that. Because what we're potentially doing in, within Canada is that with major projects like this, where companies go through all the due diligence and being able to move their projects, being able to go do forward, go through all the proper process, uh, if this continues to be an ongoing uh, problem where uh, you can have illegal blockades that can shut things down of this of this nature, what kind of a message does that send to a uh, business that may be looking at Canada as an option? If we can't get things uh, moving within our own country, that's problematic. So there is a role for government to play in this. Uh, and I'm sure leadership wants to sit down, have these discussions, get a clear understanding as to uh, as to what the issues are. But from a business perspective as well, provide some certainty so that projects that we're moving forward with, so we are doing that due diligence. And if that is being done, then they should be able to move forward. You know, um, and on another front, I'll just ask you quickly about this because I'm sure you've been asked and, and, and have some answers on this. What about the uh, coronavirus and the impact there? We've talked to a lot of different business people here in the city and in the province that, and we don't know where that's going to go yet either, right? We don't know how bad that's going to get or if it's going to last for a very long time, but that too can impact business here and elsewhere as well. Absolutely. These geopolitical issues that uh, that impact trade instability are a huge issue in terms of uh, that relationship that we have with China. And this was even before, and we saw some numbers that came out earlier this this week that showed that uh, the impact of uh, simply on trade arrangements with China over the past year have had a billion-dollar impact on Manitoba alone from an agricultural sector. Uh, so looking at the coronavirus and what kind of an impact that's going to have in regards to those trade relationships, the movement of goods, uh, is, is, is there's no question it's going to have a negative impact on the Canadian economy. So this is simply piles on and makes it more difficult for businesses in Canada uh, to be able to operate and to, uh, to, to be a key part of the Canadian economy. Chuck, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Anytime, Hal. Chuck Davidson is the head, the president of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.